Afternoon, everybody. My name is Brent. I'm a grateful alcoholic. How about that for being grateful to be a drunk, huh? It's a little bit different. I remember my first meetings. Some old-timers would say their names and say they were grateful alcoholics. Didn't make much sense to me at the time. What an honor it is for me to be up here. I, I can't believe that uh, I was able to come down here and uh, to be a part of this weekend and uh, to have the amount of people in this room. It's, uh, I feel very blessed and feel very fortunate, and I'm so grateful for everything that I've received, and all of it is from this program. Uh, my greatest thinking got me into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's not a slight on the program, but I didn't want to grow up and be a drunk. Uh, those were not my uh, ambitions. Those were not my aspirations in any way. And here I am. So obviously something changed, right? Obviously there was some type of psychological shift. And uh, obviously my own thinking got me drunk a lot and got me in here. So something has to be different. And it's not me. And that's what's the beautiful thing. I'm going um, to start with a story. It doesn't have to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't have to do with booze. Um, I heard it from a, a motivational speaker, a spiritual motivational speaker. And it made a lot of sense to me, and I'm going to tie it into the program and some things that I think about on a, on a daily basis. And there's really a yin and a yang, and there's a pull that we have on both sides of our shoulder. And it's from those choices that we can make now. Um, I have a responsibility as a person and living my life by the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I make choices that are in tune and in line with those principles, it's amazing the benefits that we all receive. And if not, uh, it's quite interesting how things work out. But I'm going to share this. It's from Leonardo da Vinci, the world-famous painter. Da Vinci was from Milan, and in Milan he painted the Last Supper, so Jesus and the Twelve Disciples. So what da Vinci did, he was going to go out throughout the city of Milan trying to find someone, in his opinion, that looked like Jesus, because he wanted to bring them back to his studio so that they would model. So he's going throughout the city trying to find his first model. He decided that Jesus would be the first one. So he goes around Milan trying to find someone who looks like Jesus in his opinion. He searches. Takes a, takes a long time. It's through six months. He's still searching. He's still searching. Gets through a year and he just can't find someone that looks like Jesus. Finally, he spots this gentleman and it's just absolutely perfect. And he comes to him with this idea and asks the gentleman if he'd come back to his studio so that he could paint him. The gentleman accepts. They go back, it takes a couple days, so the canvas has started, the painting has started. He does this through all the next 11 disciples, and he wanted to save Judas for last. I'm not real sure why. Judas, as, as you may recall, is somewhat of a tyrant. Judas has some interesting characteristics about him. There's a little bit of greed in there. There's a little bit of dishonesty, and he's got a little bit of selfishness, all of which I'm sure none of us can even begin to know what that feels like. But uh, So he saves Judas for last, and he's having the hardest time. Da Vinci's having the hardest time trying to find Judas. And he finally comes to the conclusion that he's not looking in the right places. So if we're looking for these certain characteristics, maybe that would be fitting to an institution, a jail at the time. And in Milan, there are four jails on the four outskirts of the city. So he goes to the first one. He works it out with the guards where he can find... Uh, supposed Judas, someone who looks like Judas in Da Vinci's opinion, and he looks at all the inmates and he doesn't have any luck. Goes to the next jail, same thing, can't find anyone. He's getting, he's getting a little distraught, he's getting a little upset, and he's concerned that he's not going to be able to find one that looks like Judas in his opinion. Goes to the third jail, same deal, no luck. So he goes to the fourth and final jail, he works it out with the uh, guards again, 
And in the back of one of the cells, he spots him. And it's just perfect. This guy, in his opinion, in da Vinci's opinion, this man looks like Judas, and he has to have him for this painting. Works it out. The guards let him go back to his studio for a bit, and he paints him. And the first day, the, the gen- I'll call him Judas, but the gentleman that looks like Judas comes back to the place, and uh, he's visibly he's very sad. He's very upset about something. And da Vinci notices it, and he asks him, is, it, is there something wrong? Is there something that I can do? And the gentleman said no, and he just kind of sunk his head down. Da Vinci thought it was strange, but didn't pry anymore. And the next day comes, and, and Da Vinci uh, notices that the man is physically crying now. He's so emotional that he's crying. And Da Vinci asks him, I'm, I'm sorry, is there something that I've done, or, or, or what can I do for you to make you feel better? The gentleman that looks like Judas says, Do you recognize me at all? And Da Vinci says, No. I'm sorry, have we met before? And the gentleman that looks like Judas, he points up at the canvas that da Vinci has been painting over the past several years. And he points at Jesus. And he said, you painted me, and that's me, seven years ago. Two opposites, right? That's the hook. So what, what does that mean? You can take whatever you want to take from it. It just blew me away. It's a true story. And you think about the book, and the book talks about there's a bit of bad in the best of us and there's a bit of good in the worst of us but we're all children of God right we have all these different ideas you know when I came into this program you'd be surprised I'm sure I was real egocentric you know I really thought I knew what was up I was real self-centered and I thought my way was the way and uh, I always felt as though my ducks were in a row and uh, needless to say they weren't I wasn't very honest when I came into the program. I wasn't very humble at all. And now, as you look back through the educational variety, I'll talk about that. I am a product of the educational variety. But I look back on it now, and uh, you know, there's a couple people that I know that actually trust me. There's a couple people that think I have a little bit of selfless in me. And uh, some people would even go as far as once in a while saying that I'm humble. Very few, but there's an idea. There's an idea that things change, and I can see that. And, and that's, that's the big difference, because so often, and our book talks about it all the time, that the, the newcomer just cannot see that things are actually getting better for them. And you have to have some, and no disrespect to all the old-timers, but I'll get a little rough on it here as we go along, but you know, you have people come up to you and say, oh, you're, you're changing, you're doing great. You're doing a great job. You just keep coming back. And you're so scared. You're just sitting on your hands, not trying to drink. That's a scary place. There's a lot of fear there. You know? And uh, that's the story. I think it's an interesting story, and it, and it fits. You know, we have choices now. You know? And when I wake up, I can make the choice of the type of person that I'm going to bring to the world that day. You know, I get to see you people an hour, maybe a couple hours a day, usually. I've got to deal with the rest of the world a lot. And how am I responsible? How am I going to bring my principles and my ideals that have been taught to me through this program? And that's what it's all about. I'll tell you my story. There's not much to it. You know, people say it. I have this, this story that, uh, that needs to be heard, but the one thing that I see when I look out, I see young people in the crowd. And I think that is what needs to be heard. 
Um, you, don't, you don't have to go about this. And the old-timer will tell you the same thing. Some of my closest friends in this program are old-timers. You know, they're 60, 65 years old, and they have a couple decades of sobriety. But they got in here, you know, when they're 40 years old. And they'd be the first to tell you as well that you don't have to do that. It's not etched in some stone that you've got to go down to Skid Row and have a real rough go at it for a long time. Okay, you can make choices early. I found the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 19 years old, and I haven't had a drink since I found the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. It has nothing to do with what I've done in this program. It's what this program has done for me. You know, and our book tells us very clearly that we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Recovered being a pretty critical term for me. My story, my family is just, they're unbelievable. They're, uh, they're so supportive. They're wonderful people. Um, they're extremely uh, educated, and uh, education is a very important part of our family. Uh, we, had a, we had a lot of opportunity to travel. My father was with 3M at the time, and we uh, lived in Germany for five years. I was, was 87? Yeah, 87. So I was seven years old. I was born in 1980. So some of you have been sober longer than I've been alive. Fun thought, isn't it? <laughs> so I was seven years old and we moved to Europe. And uh, Europe, in terms of uh, the idea of open-mindedness and, and culture, I think is very beneficial. You, you get an opportunity to look at things a little bit differently. And I do think that helped me as I was growing up through the program. And after you get the idea and you get into the program, it takes that open-mindedness a little bit. And it takes that acceptance of things that go on a, around you that aren't always acceptable to you. And that's a big point. But uh, so education's big. Europe, it was unbelievable. We traveled a lot. I got into sport. I got into football over there, soccer. And uh, soccer was a big deal. And I, I, I tie this in just solely because of how it brings that ego into part. The self-centeredness and the ego we'll talk about a lot. And it, it's real hard to uh, manage at a, at a younger age. So soccer brought me up uh, both physically and mentally. And when I moved back from Europe, Five years later, it was 93. I was just going into eighth grade. I uh, ended up making a, a varsity team at my home in Minnesota at a, at a young age and playing competitively then all throughout my high school career and then playing competitively with golf throughout my high school career. And I only say this because I thought I was the man. I thought I had all the answers. I'm the youngest kid on the team. I'm all this stuff. And, and I say that because it also ropes into your academics and it also ropes into your social life. And you look at things a little bit differently. You have that untouchable swagger about you, which is just a joke now. But you look back on it and you say, man, I really, I really thought I knew what I was doing. You know. When, uh, when high school uh, was concluding, it's not a question in our, in our household about college. It's which college you'll be going to. And I attended uh, the University of Denver in Colorado. My brother was two years older than me, and he was getting a psychology degree at Denver at that time. And my sister had just completed her degree at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania. So I went out, another little ego trip for you, I went out to uh, Denver, and that was the only school I applied to. They weren't going to reject me, were they? Not obnoxious. I mean, think about stuff like that. You're supposed to have backups and things like that. It's really ridiculous when you think about it, but it's no big deal. It is what it is, right? So I got in, thankfully, gratefully. I got into the University of Denver. And um, 
to qualify myself a little bit, we've got to talk about gin, I think. I just drank gin. All I drank. Beer is a waste of time. And um, I just, um, I loved it. I loved the taste, and I loved what it did for me. My first drink was a glass of beer, actually. I was 11 years old in Germany. And uh, about five, ten minutes, it was great. felt like a different person. You know, that ego's inflated even more. And it was good. I liked it. And then it came up. <laughs> it's not as good. But you know, what's, you know what's sick about it? I mean, you really know you have problems, even at young ages. So I'm 11, and I said, well, for about you know, five, ten minutes there, that was great. And I searched for those five or ten minutes of perfectness in drunkenness for what, another eight years. I didn't find it. I didn't find it. The minutes got shorter and shorter, and then it was just a grind. You know, what am I doing? It's just a grind. But, so I get to school, and uh, I probably had, uh, probably had about three days a week in high school, maybe three or four days a week that I was drinking in high school. Um, I don't really know exactly what alcoholic drinking is. and outlines it a little bit in the book, but I think there's a lot of different angles to it. Um, I take shots when I do my homework in high school. I thought that was a little strange. I didn't think I was... A, I didn't even know what an alcoholic was, but I thought that was a little bit off. And then your standard getting drunk with the uh, with all the jocks on the weekend type of thing. No big deal, you know. I was supposedly hanging out with the popular crowd and kind of doing what everybody else was doing. And I get to college and go south quick. So I get to I get to University of Denver in September of '98, and I'm in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in November of 99. Okay? And it can go that fast. I haven't had a drink since. I think I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> it just happens just like that. And uh, granted, the way I drank was, was unbelievable. And uh, if you continue on that path, it is going to happen a little bit faster. But you don't need to go out there and keep trudging and keep trudging. You know, we'll talk about trudging the road of happy destiny. But when you're thinking about the drinking, it's a lot of work. You know, and you get sick and tired of being sick and tired pretty quickly. I started out just drinking every night, and I'd get drunk every night. And I'd get blackout drunk. I'd wake up the next morning, and my buttons would all be buttoned, my belt buckle would be buckled, and my shoes would be tied, and my wallet would be in my back pocket, and I'd wake up. Wow, I'm fully dressed. Everything, and no idea. No idea what went on check with the boys, make sure I didn't embarrass myself too much, and they're like, no, you're okay. No big deal. So I started doing that the whole, pretty much the whole fall semester, just drinking at night. And I hung out with a, a pretty rowdy crowd, but we were all trying to keep our grades going, and it, it's pretty big academic school, so you got to stay on the work, right? You're there to be educated. <laughs> so then, the spring, starts to change a little bit. I'm waking up a couple times in the early spring and my hand's doing some stuff. Getting a little off axis. I don't know what's going on, you know. But I was smart enough to realize that if I take a couple pulls off my bottle right here, it slows down. And I need to slow it down enough because i got to take notes in the lecture hall, right? That was the big thing. I'd have to drink in the morning now in the spring so I could get some type of notes down through the lecture. 
So, and here's the deal. When you start drinking, okay, you're drinking all night. Now you're drinking in the morning. What do you think you're going to start doing with the mid-afternoon? Might want to tie them together, right? When it gets to that point, you're not thinking about anything, you know? And I would actually have more physical ailments and, and feel sicker if I was losing that level of alcohol through my bloodstream because I'd start shaking I'd start doing these things I didn't know about and I'd start passing out on the way to the shower in the morning and falling down and a little flopping around and stuff like that and I'd take the drink and it would subside it a bit so I tied it all together and it's not that I wasn't an angry drunk I wasn't this elated happy drunk either I was just where I was at I was just always a little drunk and uh, it wasn't comfortable you know I didn't uh, I didn't know who I was and uh, it's sad when you think about it. it's really sad at a young age with the amount of opportunity that I had I gave up a lot of athletic scholarships coming out of high school because I wanted to drink I wanted to just take it easy so that's you know at, at that university level that's a lot of money that's six figures worth of money that you're giving up but it is what it is. I don't regret anything, obviously. So, it's got to come to an end sometime, doesn't it? It was my time. November 9th of 99. So we're, I did the same thing all the way up throughout the summer as well. I don't talk too much about the drinking because what is it? It's just drinking. We've all done it. You know, it's funny how you talk in meetings about your drinking careers. What's that, a vocation, a job? Yeah, you're right. It was a job. You know, that maintenance drinking is a job. It's 24-7. You got to punch the clock every day. You don't, you get pretty sick. You know, but it catches up with you. And I'm, uh, I'm fortunate that caught up with me at a young age. And I'm fortunate now to have the ability to, to try to c connect with some people who are of young, young years and have that opportunity to say, you know what, I can do something a little bit different here. I don't have to keep going the way that I'm going. So November 9th, just a night, just another night wasted just lit up like a Christmas tree out with the guys and come back home and black out and wake up the next morning shaking like crazy the bottle's empty okay the bottle's empty next to me so what are you gonna do you go up to the boys place you go up one level and say guys what do you got and these guys they got a, probably as drunk as I got the night before but they're in bad shape they're taking about a week to two weeks off that's different right there I don't recognize those differences at that point you look back on them now when you're educated in the program and you think you're hanging out with people that are just like you <laughs> you're not sometimes you're not those guys struggled you know they'd be hurt for a while and they'd say you know what I gotta put it down for a little bit you know I'll get drunk with you next week Brent alright you know suit yourself let's keep it coming so that's the way it was but so I'm up there with the guys and I'm shaking and I'm like what is going on are you alright I don't know. You guys got anything to drink? No, <laughs> we don't. And uh, so I'm on the chair, and I, I flip out of the chair. I fall out of the chair onto the floor, and I start going into an alcoholic seizure. And uh, they had the wits about them at the time to come down to my level on the floor and say, Are you all right? Are you all right? No. You know, I'm shaking around. And uh, <laughs> one guy one guy says, uh, You want us to call 911? nodding 
<laughs> Get it done, yeah, you bet. <laughs> so, so the boys, the boys come. The emergency service comes, and uh, conveniently for a drunk like me, we have Porter Hospital, which is a few blocks away from the University of Denver campus. So I find my way onto the stretcher. You know, they got you strapped down, and your extremities are still going pretty good. And uh, I get into the emergency room, and I'm still strapped down. And I remember a couple of doctors vaguely, and a couple of nurses come in, and they had some needles that I had never seen. Big ones. That's all I remember. I, was out. I don't know what they did, but you know what? They saved my life. When I came to the next, I think it was the next afternoon. Yeah. Um, my parents were already there. They flew out immediately. And uh, they had hired these psychologists and social workers, all these highly recommended people. So all these people are in the room and uh, saying all kinds of different stuff. Not much of it making too much sense. Then the doctor who treated me the previous morning said, Brent, this is the way it is. If you continue to drink the way that you are drinking, you'll be dead before you're 25. You actually already have some liver damage, and uh, we need to let you know that we can get you some help and that you don't have to do this anymore. So I'm in detox, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and he says this to me. And for the first time, this is key, for the first time, I said, okay. Okay. You know what that is? That's taking direction from a power greater than myself. You bet. Doesn't have to be God right away. It took me a long time to find that. But that's a power greater than myself. That doctor knew what I needed, and he was there to help me. And I said, okay, I'm willing. I'm willing to be helped. Isn't that what we need? We need that willingness. It's the steps before the steps. Right? I said, okay. I said, okay. He got me in touch with some folks. And so I go to my first meeting. <laughs> this is gonna... So what's my perception of an alcoholic from my upbringing, supposedly, and my support system and never being around this situation? It's Skid Row, okay? It's a, it's a jug of wine, overcoat preferably, and uh, just hanging out. And that's not the way it is, is it? I've met the most beautiful kind, generous, supportive people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous I've ever met in my life. And I don't find it surprising that our book talks about our way of living has its benefits to all. We're an interesting lot. We got, we got some quirks about us, don't we? When you transfer that energy a little bit and you start grasping that sunlight of the spirit, those quirks can be pretty powerful things. And we need to realize those abilities that we do have as people. So I go into my first meeting. How's it going over there? We haven't talked yet. You doing good? Get loose. No. You, are you doing all right? She told me to go fast, actually. She told me to speak kind of fast. It's easier for her. Does that make sense? I would be easier for me if someone was going slow. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> That's great. 
Good stuff. Thank you for being here. So, first meeting. Six of us, all six of us. Punk 19-year-old kid and five other gentlemen, all of which are over the age of 50. Um, three or four of them had over 15 years. This isn't going to work, guys. You've got to send me somewhere else or something because I can't relate to a single thing that you have just said. And I appreciate you, and you seem like a decent lot, but we have nothing in common. And um, I don't have the same story as you. I didn't drink the way that you drank. You know, I didn't. I, I hear all kinds of funny stories, but none, I never quite grasped something that was just like me. You know, and that changes when I talk about that. But you know what these guys said, and it made a lot of sense to me at the time. It needed to be pretty simple at that time, didn't it? <laughs> you need little bits, don't you? They start going into these long deals. <laughs> Just trying to stay sober. <laughs> so he said, uh, he said, don't drink tonight. And he said, come back tomorrow. Sorry. That's all I really remember. Other than that they're old. That was, <laughs> and I love you guys. I love you all so much. But that's what it was like in the beginning. He said, don't drink. He said, come back. I said, okay. Okay, right? Okay was a big word for me at that time. Yeah, it's funny, but it's okay being okay now, isn't it? Things are different. And that's, again, taking direction from a power greater than myself. You don't think those good old boys were power greater than myself? You bet they are. You know, that's absolutely vital to this program. You know, those old timers need to keep coming to meetings just as much as I need to be there for the newcomers and the young people. Same thing. You know, those guys saved my life. So I go back. He told me to, so I went back. And, uh, you know, I finally got the idea that I should get some type of a home group. I jumped around a couple, you know, in the first week or two. You're so scared. Oh, you're so scared. And I jumped around trying to find meetings that worked. And, and finally, there's this one about 10 minutes from the campus in Denver. This will do. You know, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking for. I haven't been through this, I'm just, and they, they were nice to me, and they said keep coming back, and I'd heard that before, so, so I stayed there, sitting on my hands, real close to the exit door, just trying to stay sober, sober out of fear. You know, you're in that point when you're drinking, when you're thinking about it, you know, I'm so scared, because I don't think I can live with booze anymore, but I really don't know if I can live without it. That's a scary place for a drunk to be. And we all have to be there at some point. I think that's a nice opening and an invitation to these rooms when that fear reaches that level. So these guys are nice to me, but a couple couple weeks go by. I pick up a 30-day ship just because I sat there for 30 days. And I I got the 60-day deal. and Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty cocky. Uh, not, Not talking. Not doing any work. I had those things look just taken care of. First time I went in there, 12 steps, read them. I was in the midst of a couple degrees. Don't worry about it, I got that. <laughs> it's all set. <laughs> so, okay, it gets to about six months now. And there's this older gentleman, naturally. Me and the old guys have had some interesting times over the years now. But uh, there's this older gentleman sitting, never chairs, but he's sitting right up front in this meeting. And there's couches and lazy boys at this meeting. He's in his lazy boy. It's always the same one. No one else sits there. 
You know, a lot of people move around and try to get a little different scenery and get a different vibe and a different feel. Sitting up there at the same time. All the time. Doesn't miss a meeting. People call him Uncle Ray. Uncle? So I'm under the impression that he's not everybody's uncle, but I think something's a little strange. So Uncle Ray, and he doesn't hold back. He hits you right on the head. He tells you exactly what he thinks, pretty much. And he is a thumper, straight out of the big book. And just nails you. (laughs) And it's that tough love kind of idea, but he comes up to me one day. Six months into the gig, I haven't done a thing yet. Just scared, sober out of fear. He says, are you done wasting my time? You know, (laughs) nice thing to say. I'll keep coming back, thanks. And what do you say to that? Are you done wasting my time? I said, well, that's pretty obnoxious, you know. I just said, excuse me. I thought that was the most polite thing at the time. I said, excuse me? And he said, are you done wasting my time? You ever going to do the work? You ever going to start helping other people? I said, I need help. I don't know how to do the work. What work? (laughs) You know, I don't know how to do the work. And uh, he said, you know, there's a little more to it than just reading those steps up on the wall. He said, do you have a big book? I said, yeah, they actually gave me one my first meeting. He said, oh, wasn't that nice of them? Have you opened it? (laughs) I said, yeah, I have actually. I've read it. He didn't, you know, I just read it. Nothing. He's like, next Thursday, this is my address. Next Thursday, you're at my house at 5 o'clock. I said, okay. Took a little direction. I said, okay. I didn't miss a single Thursday with Ray. It's like Tuesdays with Maury. I didn't miss a single Thursday with Ray for the rest of my career at the University of Denver. Ray started a big book study that directly followed our time together at 6.30 on Thursdays. And uh, Ray saved my life. Saved my life. Got me to sponsor people and and do all this stuff in AA and help. He got me to be a different person. And um, my prayers are with him right now, actually. I'll be out there next week visiting him. He's fighting cancer right now. And and he's not winning, but uh, it's it's not about winning or losing anymore. And uh, it's amazing uh, to think about it. And it's hard to think about it, but... uh, this is this is exactly what he wants, you know. Here I am trying to share my experience, strength, and hope. And uh, I just have to do that out loud to give him the credit. Because I just showed up on Thursdays, right? It's an unbelievable thing. We just got to show up. You, know, you talk about getting all nervous for this thing. I don't know if I can screw up because I just bring myself. I'm just telling you what it is. I don't have some great unbelievable story I'm just a garden variety drunk just like anybody else you just show up and that's what we have to do in Alcoholics Anonymous just gotta keep showing up we gotta keep showing up it's nasty out there it's real bad out there you know and we do the best that we can to help those people when they come in but we have got to be there and the young people I, I obviously have a very very soft spot for all the young people in Alcoholics Anonymous it is imperative it is imperative Interesting stuff going on there. It's getting younger and younger, isn't it? It's amazing. 
I, I, you know, I've been at treatment centers and stuff like that. They're 14, 15 years old. And the disease is right on top of them, just as it was on the 40-year-old who quit when he was 40 and now he's 60. It's just the same. And we need to be open to that. And I think we need to be conscious of that. So, Ray, my boy, saved my life. So we start doing the work, actually. You believe that? And it worked. It worked. What comes after 12 on the hands of a clock? Number one, keep it rolling. There's no stop to this thing. We're not going to graduate from Alcoholics Anonymous. We're not going to get a degree in AA. I'm here. This is it. You know, you talk about the keys of the kingdom. It's not two. There's no destination anymore. Trudging the road of happy destiny. I'm already there. We have arrived. Thank goodness. It's over. Sucked, didn't it? (laughs) And I didn't have that long out there, did I? (laughs) Long enough. And we don't have to anymore. But, uh, you know, we're we're not going anywhere. We're already there. What is the destination? What are we always searching for? What are we always searching for? God, for me. You know, the ability to try to keep changing. The ability to try to keep growing. If I don't grow in this program, I'm going to have a tough time staying in that sunlight of the Spirit. And that's where I need to be. It's a happy place. You know, and I don't think we're... What's the saying? Out of the ocean? or You know, God didn't save us from the raging ocean to beat us up on the white sandy beach. You know, we get pretty down on ourselves sometimes in Alcoholics Anonymous. And life does happen, sure. But are there that big of deals anymore with what we've been through? A lot of, a lot of hope in these rooms. A lot of hope. We all right over there? Good? It's fun, isn't it? I'm so glad to be up here. This is, this is great. I'm going to, if you'll pardon me, this is what I usually do in... The book is, uh, book's everything to me because it's all in there. You know, if I pay a little more attention to the book, I can pick out some stuff that actually have benefit to my life and then even more so I can bring to other people and help other people. What does that do? Hits me on itself, doesn't it? Isn't that what we're trying to do? Self-centered, egocentric guy that I was. I got to try something different. So what's different? Maybe trying to help someone else. Maybe trying to be a little bit humble. So I'm going to talk a couple, just a couple of things that uh, that really stick out in the big book for me. And uh, I try to pass along to a lot of people. And I'll read the book, obviously, word for word. That's the truth there. Word for word out of the book. My opinion is going to be my opinion. <laughs> and I'll put, I'm sure, my younger generation slant on some things. And that it's not an offense of anyone. It's just that there are different ways to look at things. And if it works in your program and if you have an idea that fits, I encourage you and invite you to run with it. And if it doesn't, no worries. We're still all glad to be here, right? We're still alive. Yeah? Come on. It's all good. Let's go right into the thick of it. This is how's that? All right. I don't know how that happens. We'll move that. Excuse me. All right. Right into the truth. Sixty-two, I think, is pretty much the spot to be for me. 
we're talking about, so we're getting through after we're through that first step. And we're hopping into a second step. And we're trying to figure out, I'm talking a lot about the spirituality of the program for me. Getting out of self, right? Trying to find some type of power that's greater than myself. And uh, it describes it real well here. And uh, I'll show you, in my opinion, how it, how it worked for me. At the top, we're talking about selfishness and self-centeredness. Exclamation point. You bet. We're all right there, aren't we? Right? We come in. Unbelievable. That, we think, is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear. <laughs> yep. Self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Can you imagine that? Why would they retaliate? It seems so rude. You know, we're doing the best that we can. Right? Things change, don't they? So they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. It's nice that they put that sentence in there right after it, isn't it? But times they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made a decision based on self, based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Oh, so it comes back to me. Sounds like a little bit like a little something we do a couple steps later. A little first column to fourth column change. It's all them, it's all them, it's all them. Fourth column, it's my nature. I'm going to start taking responsibility for that. That's a shift, isn't it? Same type of stuff. It all ties together. So we troubles are, we think, are basically of our own making. They rise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Nah, 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 nah. You know, it's so it's unbelievable. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. It's all very clear. Straight sentence. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. You know, I had good intentions. I did, honestly. I had good intentions. But my actions, where are my actions? My actions were not fitting to my intentions. That's a little verbatim, but that's in the book as well. So, it goes on, just next paragraph. It says this is the how, how and the why of it. Next couple sentences save my life. I really think they do. And I tie in with the spiritual experience. First of all, we had to quit playing God. Period. And it's an even shorter sentence after that. It didn't work. All right. All right. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do about it? Thank goodness they tell us. It didn't work. Next, we decided that the hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. I don't really know what that means. You know, if I was a music major or something like that, maybe I'd have another grasp. But it goes on again now to say he is the principal and we are his agents. I'm still not too sure what that means. You know, I'm trying to find stuff that relates to me, right? We're trying to pick stuff out of the book that works for us because we need to bring it into our daily life. He is the father and we are his children. If you had a solid supportive upbringing, that would work. Because you could think of that father-son relationship or that mother-daughter relationship or whatever the case may be. If not, then what? So it goes on to say here, 
that most good ideas are simple. And this concept was a keystone in the new and triumphant arc through which we passed to freedom. But up top here on the next page, 63, I got another idea that might just work, and I think a lot of us can relate to it. When we sincerely took such a position, so first of all, I'm taking a new position, right? My position wasn't all that good. <laughs> all sorts of remarkable things followed. Okay, so I'm going to get some benefits out of this deal. But here it is, right here. We had a new employer. Yeah, what does that really mean? With the position and with the relationship. Uncle Ray. Is this simple enough? He's boss and you're peon. I know that. I understand that. I know that working relationship. He's boss and I'm peon. I can roll with that today. I drove the bus in life, so to speak, for a number of years. And I drove it, drove it poorly. <laughs> and I crashed and I had a lot of accidents. And uh, lately, someone else is driving the bus. I haven't crashed and burned as hard. Haven't had as many accidents. Things change. I'm not in charge anymore. And this book does a good job of showing that. And this is just a portion of the book that works in thinking of that shift that we need to have. Jump real quick. 569, spiritual experience. I went to a meeting yesterday at the clubhouse on St. Simon's Island, where I go when I'm down here for the winters. I'm from Minnesota. And um, this lady is so kind. She said, I'm going to read this for you since you're down here. You know what she read? Spiritual experience, second appendices. So I must harp on this pretty good if I come back into town and someone mentions it right away. That made me feel really good. You know, this stuff lives on, this stuff keeps going. It's all right here. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient... I'm sorry. Upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. I don't really know what they're saying. Let's be honest. Not quite sure yet. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers that the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheaval. Oh, boy. I didn't have that. Okay. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. Good. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? For me. So you go on here and it says in, in the first few chapters, a number of our sudden revolutionary changes are, dis are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate an overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Oh boy, I don't know how long I'm going to last, you know? I have this friend in, uh, in Colorado, and she blackout drunk, just blackout drunk one night. This is 25, 30 years ago, and she tells the story. She's blackout drunk. Wakes up the next morning, she's in detox. I don't know. She goes up to the nurse and said, how did I get here? How did I get here? The nurse says, you brought yourself here. She has no idea. I'd stay so broad of that, wouldn't you? 
that's a burning bush if you ask me. <laughs> the light switch might have just popped on for that one. I, I think it's an amazing story. I didn't have that. You know, I was just kind of flopping around and got in there and, and said, okay, and that's where I was. So how am I going to start grasping? You see people sitting around rooms, you know, and they got their legs crossed and they're leaning back a little bit. And they're so calm. People say serene. They're so serene. You know what? I wanted that. That looked comfortable, didn't it? When you first got in the rooms, that looked real comfortable. Life anymore. Yeah, this is what saved me right down in here. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, so frequent, are by no means the rule. Okay, so we're going to have another, we're going to have another out here. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety. Because they develop slowly over a period of time. Right? I just keep showing up, keep showing up. Something's going to change. They tell me. And they're doing a lot better, aren't they? Why not listen to them for a little bit until you can find? And goes on to tell us here. Quite often, friends here, that's what I was talking about before, quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. Sure. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. That such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. There's something else. There really is. There's something else. So what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished in years of self, 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 years of self-discipline. No matter how much I try and try and try, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit. Jeez. You know, we got to try something else because it's just not working. You get into the definition of insanity real quick, don't you? Because you're looking for different results. You keep looking. You don't find it, and that's a tough spot to be. It is a tough spot to be. So with few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify, okay, so over a period of time, they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence. That essence is the essence of a spiritual experience. I'm having one every day, right? Pretty much. Because I'm continuing to be educated through you people. And I'm not, none, none of these are original thoughts, really. Everything that comes out of me has been taught by members of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's how it is. I'm being educated in this program. I'm being educated in life through Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, our more religious members, it says that here, our more religious members call it that consciousness. But most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problem in the light of our experience can recover. He can recover. He can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We know what, <laughs> we know what that is, right? We've been there. So we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. The willingness, though, honesty, and the open-mindedness are essential to recovery. But these are indispensable, right? And Mr. Spencer down here, Herbert, our good friend, talks about that there is a principle which is barred against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is content prior to investigation. Content 
trying to investigate. So if I don't try it, what's going to happen? If I keep on doing the same thing that I've been doing, you know, and, and I just feel so fortunate that, uh, that I had that opportunity at a young age and I had that ability at that moment because of God's help, right, to say, okay, I do need some help. Can you help me out? <laughs> I just like to drink. I just get real drunk all the time. And uh, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it hurts and you don't know where to go. And it, it, it's sad sometimes that we have so many serious situations happen in our lives for us to, to realize that there might be another way out. But sometimes we need to get to where we need to get. And that's a painful truth. But to all the young people, we're there. <laughs> We've arrived. You know? And you just show up. You just show up. You know, you keep your side of the street clean and you help others. And all that is possible if you're trusting in a power greater than yourself. Which over an educational time I've been able to call God. The doctor was the God in the beginning. Ray was God for a little bit. You people were God for quite a while. You still are a little bit. But uh been able to gain a, a consumption of my own power now. And uh that's got to be it. I'm so thankful, so thankful. I really hope that you were able to gather something from this. And I appreciate you all coming. And uh, just keep coming back, right? No big deal. Just keep coming back. Thanks a lot.